They mounted their swift black horses and spurred them with abandoned savagery down the hillside towards the marsh, their cloaks whipping behind them as the wind caught them, lashing them high into the air. Both rode with set, hard faces, refusing to acknowledge the aching uncertainty which lurked within them. And the horses' hooves had splashed into quaking bogland before they could halt. Cursing, Arik tugged hard on his reins, pulling his horse back onto firm ground. Sharia, too, fought her own panicky stallion and guided the beast to the safety of the turf. Well, how do we cross? Arik asked her impatiently. There was a map, Sharia began unhesitantly. Well, where is it? it? I was lost. I lost it. But I tried hard to memorize it. I think I'll be able to get us safely across. Well, how did you lose it, and why didn't you tell me of this before? Alric stormed. I'm sorry, Alric, but for a whole day, just before I found you in that tavern, my memory was gone. Somehow I lived through a day without knowing it, and when I awoke, the map was missing. Alric frowned. Well, there is some force working against us, I am sure. But what it is, I do not know. He raised his voice and said to her, well, let's hope that your memory is not too faulty now. These marshes are infamous the world over, but by all accounts only natural hazards wait for us. He grimaced and put his fingers around the hilt of his rune sword. Best go first, Sharia, but stay close. Lead the way. She nodded, dumbly, and turning her hair horse's head towards the north, galloping along the bank until she came to a place where a great tapering rock loomed. Here, a grassy path, four feet or so across, led out into a misty marsh. They could only see a little distance ahead because of the clinging mist, but it seemed that the trail remained firm for some way. Sharia walked her horse onto the path and jolted forward at a slow trot, Ulrich following immediately behind her. Through the swirling heavy mist, which shone whitely, the horses moved hesitantly, and their risers had to keep them on short, tight rein. The mist padded the marsh with silence, and the gleaming watery fens around them stank with foul putrescence. No animal scurried. No bird shrieked above them. Everywhere was a haunting, fear-laden silence which made both horses and riders uneasy. With panic in their throats, Alric and Sharila rode on, deeper and deeper into the unnatural marshes of the mist, their eyes weary and even their nostrils quivering for scent of danger in the stinking morass. Hours later, when the sun was long past its zenith, Sharila's horse reared, screaming and whinnying. She shouted for Alric, her exquisite features twisted in fear as she stared into the mist. He spurred his own bucking horse forwards and joined her. Something moved slowly, menacingly in the clinging whiteness. Ulrich's right hand whipped over to his left side and grasped the hilt of Stormbringer. The blade shrieked out of its scabbard, a black fire gleaming along its length, an alien power flowing from it into Ulrich's arm and through his body. A weird, unholy light leapt into Ulrich's crimson eyes, and his mouth was wrenched into a hideous grin as he forced the frightened horse further into the skulking mist. Ariok, Lord of the Seven Darks, be with me now! Alric yelled as he made out the shifting shape ahead of him. It was white like the mist, yet somehow darker. It stretched high above Alric's head. It was nearly 
eight feet tall and almost as broad, but it was still only an outline, seeming to have no face or limbs, only movement, darting, malevolent movement. But Arioch, his painted god, chose not to hear. Alric could feel his horse's great heart beating between his legs as the beast plunged forward under its rider's iron control. Sharia was screaming something behind him, but he could not hear the words. Alric hacked at the white shape, but his sword met only mist, and it howled angrily. The fear-crazed horse would go no further, and Alric was forced to dismount. Keep hold of the steed, he shouted behind him to Sharia, and moved on to light feet towards the darting shape which hovered ahead of him, blocking his path. Now he could make out some of its saliencies. Two eyes, colour of thin yellow wine, were set high in the thing's body, though it had no separate head. A mouthing obscene slit filled with fangs lay just beneath the eyes. It had no nose or ears that Auric could see. Four appendages sprang from its upper parts, and its lower body slithered along the ground, unsupported by any limbs. Auric's eyes ached as he looked at it. It was incredibly disgusting to behold, and its amorphous body gave off a stench of death and decay. Fighting down his fear, the albino inched forward warily, his sword held high to parry any thrust the thing might make with its arms. Auric recognised it from a description in one of his grimoires. It was a mist giant, possibly the only mist giant, Belbane. Even the wisest wizards were uncertain how many existed, one or many. It was a ghoul of the swamplands, which fed off the souls and the blood of men and beasts. But the marshes of this mist were far to the east of Belbane's reputed haunts. Elric ceased to wonder why so few animals inhabited the stretch of the swamp. And overhead the sky was beginning to darken. Stormbringer throbbed in Alric's grasp as he called the names of the ancient demon gods of his people. The nauseous ghoul obviously recognised the names. For an instant it wavered backwards. Alric made his legs move towards the thing. Now he saw that the ghoul was not white at all, but it had no colour to it that Alric could recognise. There was a suggestion of orangeness dashed with sickening greenish-yellow. But he did not see the colours with his eyes. He only sensed the alien, unholy tinctures. Then Alric rushed towards the thing, shouting the names which now had no meaning to his surface consciousness. Balan! Martham! Aismar! Alastor! Cybos! Verdelet! Nitsilfkim! Haborum! Haborum of the fires which destroy! His whole mind was torn in two. Part of him wanted to run, to hide, but he had no control over the power which now gripped him and pushed him to meet the horror. The sword blade hacked and slashed at the shape. It was like trying to cut through water, sentient, pulsating water. But Stormbringer had effect. The whole shape of the ghoul quivered as if in dreadful pain. Alric felt himself plucked into the air and his vision went. He could see nothing, do nothing but hack and cut at the thing which now held him. Sweat poured from him as blindly he fought on. Pain which was hardly physical, a deeper, horrifying pain, filled his being as he howled now in agony and struck continually at the yielding bulk which embraced him and was pulling him slowly towards its gaping moor. 
struggled and writhed in the obscene grasp of the thing. Powerful arms that was holding him, almost lasciviously, drawing him closer as a rough lover would draw a girl. Even the mighty power intrinsic in the rune sword did not seem enough to kill the monster. Though its efforts were somewhat weaker than earlier, it still drew Alric nearer to the gnashing, slavering mouth slit. Alric cried the names again, while Stormbringer danced and sang an evil song in his right hand. In agony Alric writhed, praying, begging, promising, but still he was drawn inch by inch towards the grinning moor. Savagely, grimly, he fought, and again he screamed for Arioch. A mind touched his, sardonic, powerful, evil, and he knew Arioch responded at last. Almost imperceptibly, the mist giant weakened. Arik pressed his advantage, and the knowledge that the ghoul was losing its strength gave him more power. Blindly, agony piercing every nerve of his body, he struck and struck. Then, quite suddenly, he was fallen. He seemed to fall for hours, slowly, weightlessly, until he landed upon a surface which yielded beneath him. He began to sink. Far off, beyond time and space, he heard a distant voice calling to him. He did not want to hear it. He was content to lie where he was as the cold, comforting stuff in which he lay dragged him slowly into itself. Then some sixth sense made him realise that it was Sharela's voice calling him, and he forced himself to make sense out of the words. Alric, the marsh! You're in the marsh! Don't move! He smiled to himself. Why should he move? Down he was sinking, slowly, calmly, down into the welcoming marsh. Had there been another time like this? Another marsh? With a mental jolt, full awareness of the situation came back to him and he jerked his eyes open. Above him was mist. To one side a pool of unnameable colouring was slowly evaporating, giving off a foul odour. On the other side he could just make out a human form gesticulating wildly. Beyond the human form were the barely discernible shapes of two horses. Shirilla was there. Beneath him. Beneath him was the marsh. Thick. Stinking slime was sucking him downwards as he lay spread-eagled upon it, half-submerged already. Stormbringer was still in his right hand. He could just see it if he turned his head. Carefully, he tried to lift the top half of his body from the sucking morass. He succeeded, only to feel his legs sink deeper. Sitting upright, he shouted to the girl, Sharia, quickly, a rope! There is no rope, Elric. She was ripping off her top garment, frantically tearing it into strips. Still, Elric sank, his feet finding no purchase beneath them. Sharila hastily knotted the strips of cloth. She flung the makeshift rope inexpertly towards the sinking albino. It fell short. Fumbling in her haste, she threw it again. This time, his groping left hand found it. The girl began to hurl on the haul on the fabric. Elric felt himself rise a little and then stop. It's no good, Elric, I haven't the strength. Cursing her, Elric shouted, The horse! Tie it to the horse! She ran towards one of the horses and looped the cloth around the pommel of the saddle. And then she tugged at the beast's reins and began to walk away. Swiftly, Elric was dragged from the sucking bog, and still gripping Stormbringer was pulled to the inadequate safety of the strip of turf. 
Gasping, he tried to stand, but found his legs incredibly weak beneath him. He rose, staggered and fell. Sharila knelt down beside him. Are you hurt? Arak smiled in spite of his weakness. No, I don't think so. It was dreadful. I couldn't see properly what was happening. You seemed to disappear and then you screamed that name. She was trembling, her face pale and taut. What name? Arak was genuinely puzzled. What name did I scream? She shook her head. It doesn't matter, but whatever it was, it saved you. He reappeared soon afterwards and fell into the marsh. Stormbringer's power was still flowing into the albino. He already felt stronger. With an effort, he got up and stumbled unsteadily towards his horse. And I'm sure that the mist giant does not usually haunt this marsh. It was sent here. By what or whom, I don't know. But we must get to firmer ground while we can. Sharila said. In which way, back or forward? Ulrich frowned. Well, forward, of course. Why do you ask? She swallowed and shook her head. Well, let's hurry then, she said. They mounted their horses and rode with little caution until the marsh and its cloak of mist was behind them. Now the journey took on a new urgency as Ulrich realised that some force was attempting to put obstacles in their way. They rested little and savagely rode their powerful horses to a virtual standstill. On the fifth day, they were riding through barren and rocky country and a light rain was falling. The hard ground was slippery so that they were forced to ride more slowly, huddled, huddled, over, the sudden, huddled over the sodden necks of their horses, muffled in cloaks which only inadequately kept out the drizzling rain. They had ridden in silence for some time before they heard a ghastly, cackling baying ahead of them and the rattle of hooves. Alric motioned towards a large rock looming to their right. Shelter here, he said. Something comes towards us, possibly more enemies. With luck they'll pass, to, pass us. Sharila mutely obeyed him, and together they waited as the hideous baying grew nearer. One rider, several other beasts, Alric said, listening intently. The beasts either follow or pursue the rider. Then they were in sight, racing through the rain a man frantically spurring an equally frightened horse, and behind him, the distance decreasing, a pack of what at first appeared to be dogs. These were no dogs. They were half dog and half bird, with the lean, shaggy body and legs of dogs, but possessing bird-like talons in place of paws and savagely curved beaks which snapped where muzzles should have been. The hunting dogs of Darji, gasped Sharia. I thought that they, like their masters, were long extinct. Well, I also, Alric said. What are they doing in these parts? There was never contact between the Darji and the dwellers of this land. Brought here by something, Sharila whispered. Those devil dogs will scent us, to be sure. Alric reached for his rune sword. Well, then we can lose nothing by aiding their quarry, he said, urging his mount forward. Wait here, Sharila. By this time the devil pack and the men were, they pursued were rushing past the sheltered rock, speeding down a narrow defile. Ulrich spurred his horse down the slope. Oh there, he shouted to the frantic rider. Turn and stand, my friend, I'm here to aid you. The moaning rune sword lifted high, Ulrich thundered towards the snapping, howling devil dogs, and his horse's hooves struck one with an impact which broke the unnatural beast's spine. 
There were some five or six of the weird dogs left. The rider turned his horse and drew a long sabre from a scabbard at his waist. There was a small man with a broad, ugly mouth. He grinned in relief. A lucky chance this meeting, good master. This was all the time that he had to remark before two of the dogs were leaping at him and he was forced to give his whole attention to defending himself from their slashing talons and snapping beaks. The other three dogs concentrated their vicious attacks upon Elric. One leapt high, its beak aimed at Elric's throat. He felt foul breath on his face and hastily brought Stormbring around in an arc which chopped the dog in two. Filthy blood spattered Elric and his horse, and the scent of it seemed to increase the fury of the other dog's attack. But the blood made the dancing black rune sword sing an almost ecstatic tune, and Elric felt it writhe in his grasp and stab at another of the hideous dogs. The point caught the beast just below its breastbone as it reared up at the albino. It screamed in terrible agony and turned its beak to seize the blade, and as the beak connected with the lambent black metal of the sword, a foul stench, akin to the smell of burning, struck Auric's nostrils, and the beast's scream broke off sharply. Engaged with the remaining devil dog, Auric caught a fleeting glimpse of the charred corpse. His horse was rearing high, lashing at the last alien animal with flailing hooves. The dog avoided the horse's attack and came at Auric's unguarded left side. The albino swung in the saddle and brought his sword hurtling down to slice into the dog's skull and spilled brains and blood on the wetly gleaming ground. Still somehow alive, the dog snapped feebly at Elric, but the Malnabonean ignored its futile attack and turned his attention to the little man who had dispensed with one of his adversaries, but was having difficulty with the second. The dog had grasped the sabre with its beak, gripping the sword near the talon. Gripping the sword near the hilt. Talons raked across the little man's throat as he strove to shake the dog's grip. Auric charged forward, his rune sword aimed like a lance to where the devil dog dangled in mid-air, its talons slashing, trying to reach the flesh of its former quarry. Stormbringer caught the beast in its lower abdomen and ripped upwards, slitting the thing's underparts from crutch to throat. It released its hold on the small man's sabre and fell writhing to the ground. Auric's horse trampled it into the rocky ground. Breathing heavily, the albino sheathed Stormbringer and warily regarded the man he had saved. He disliked unnecessary contact with anyone and did not wish to be embarrassed by a display of emotion on the little man's part. He was not disappointed, for the wide, ugly mouth split into a cheerful grin and the man bowed in the saddle as he returned his own curved blade to its scabbard. "'Thanks, good sir,' he said lightly. "'Without your help, the battle might have lasted longer.' You deprived me of good sport, but you meant well. Moonglum is my name. Alric of Malnibony, I, reported the albino, but saw no reaction on the little man's face. This was strange, for the name of Alric was now infamous throughout most of the world. The story of his treachery and the slaying of his cousin Cimmeril had been told and elaborated upon in taverns throughout the young kingdoms. Much as he hated it, he was used to receiving some indication of recognition from those he met. His albinoism was enough to mark him. Intrigued by Moonglum's ignorance and feeling strangely drawn towards the cocky little rider, Auric studied him in an effort to discover from what land he came. Moonglum wore no armour, and his clothes were of faded blue material, travel-stained and warmed. A stout leather belt carried the sabre, a dirk and a woollen purse. Upon his feet Moonglum wore ankle-length boots of cracked leather, 
His horse furniture was much used, but of obviously good quality. The man himself, seated high in the saddle, was barely more than five feet tall, with legs too long in proportion to the rest of his slight body. His nose was short and up-tilted beneath grey-green eyes, large and innocent-seeming. A mop of vivid red hair fell over his forehead and down his neck, unrestrained. He sat his horse comfortably, still grinning, but looking now behind Elric to where Sharilo rode to join them. Moonglum bowed elaborately as the girl pulled her horse to a halt. Elric said coldly, The Lady Sharilla, Master Moonglum of... Of Elfwea, Moonglum supplied. The mercantile capital of the East, finest city in the world. Elric recognised the name. So you are from Elfwea, Master Moonglum. I've heard of the place. A new city, is it not? Some few centuries old. You've ridden far. Well, indeed I have, sir. Without knowledge of the language used in these parts, the journey would have been harder. But luckily the slave who inspired me with tales of his homeland taught me the speech thoroughly. But why do you travel these parts? Have you not heard the legends? Sharilla spoke incredulously. Were those very legends what brought me hence? And I'd begun to discount them until those unpleasant pups set upon me. For what reason they decided to give chase I do not know, for I gave them no cause to take a dislike to me. This is indeed a barbarous land. Elric was uncomfortable. Light talk of the kind which Moonglum seemed to enjoy was contrary to his own brooding nature. But in spite of this, he found that he was liking the men more and more. It was Moonglum who suggested that they travel together for a while. Sharila objected, giving Elric a warning glance, but he ignored it. Very well then, friend Moonglub. Since three are stronger than two, we'd appreciate your company. We ride towards the mountains, Elric himself was feeling in a more cheerful mood. And what do you seek there? Moonglum inquired. A secret, Auric said, and his newfound companion was discreet enough to drop the question 